So we are in a series titled Origin Stories, Study of the First 11 Chapters of Genesis. And this is, this is the story that belongs to all of us, and it answers so many of the, of the pressing questions of human life, purpose, you know, who am I, where did I come from, where am I going, what am I supposed to do with my life, why is the world the way it is? And Genesis, chapters 1 through 11, give us so many answers. Uh, so these are some critical uh, chapters in the Bible, and we need to know them uh, backwards and forwards. So we are, I think this is week 9 in our series, and we're only up to chapter 4. Today we're talking about uh, um, Cain and Abel, the very first murder in human history. So it's a, it's a murder story. It's a tragic story. And before I tell the story and unpack it, I want to go ahead and just start with the big idea. Here is the big takeaway of this story. We are in a constant battle with sin for control. That's the big idea. Sin wants to control us, not just every once in a while... Sin wants to be in the driver's seat of our lives. Sin wants to call the shots. And how does sin gain control? Well, anytime we say yes to its demands. Sin cannot force us to do its will. It deceives us. It tricks us into believing that it's going to bring about life. And, of course, it doesn't. It always promises life and delivers death. But we are often deceived. And the more that we say yes to sin's demands and hand over control of our lives to sin, well, unfortunately, we can come to a place where our lives are, are correctly described as being under sin's Dominion. The Bible talks about it as bondage or slavery to sin. And uh, for some people, they so give their lives over to sin that it's correct to say they're a wicked person, a sinful person. Sin seems to be in charge in all the areas of their lives. And then, of course, there are, there are those of us who, who give a part of our life over. And so there's an aspect of our life in which we are clearly in bondage to sin. And, but there's good news. There's good news. The good news is we can say no to sin's demands. We can even recover when we have given over part of our life to the control of sin. We actually can wrestle control back. Uh, that is possible for all people because that power comes from being created in the image of God. And then as Christians who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we have an extra advantage in this struggle against sin. So why don't we want to just give sin control? Right? Well, it's because sin has consequences. And sin, although it promises life, delivers death. And sin always creates increased brokenness in our lives. And in our story today, uh, unfortunately, Cain does not heed the warning of God and he goes ahead and gives in to sin's demands, and the result is he is 
banished from the presence of the Lord. The ground no longer produces for him, and he becomes an outcast from society. Sin promises life, delivers death. The more that we keep sin out of our lives, the better off we are. This is a clear teaching of the Bible, and it's something that if you, if you, you know, observe life with any clar- uh, clarity and carefulness, you're going to see. People who uh, keep sin out of their lives avoid a whole lot of brokenness. And, you know, we then enjoy life as God intends it, which is a life of abundance. So there's a whole lot of, uh, of hardship and, and pain and suffering in our lives that comes from us just giving in to sin's demands. So there we go. There's the big idea. Now we're going to see it in the text. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And the story begins on a, a positive, on a high note, a hopeful note. We read this, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Adam and Eve, they were the first ones to sin, and God came to Adam and Eve and and told them the consequences of their sin. And part of the consequence of sin for Eve was... I will increase your pain in childbearing. Uh, Your role as a mother is going to be much more difficult than it was intended to be because of sin, because you've sinned. But here we are, after that sin has broken the world, and Eve is able to give birth to Cain and Abel. She's still able to, uh, to be a mom. And she says, God has helped me, essentially, uh, do what I was created to do and have blessing in my life despite the presence of sin in the world, despite my own failing, God is still blessing me. And that's a wonderful truth that uh, uh, Pastor James highlighted last week in which he said, yes, we live in a, uh, a sin-broken world, but we can still have a good life with the help of the Lord if we do life His way. God will still help us have a, uh, a purposeful blessed, righteous life if we will trust in Him and depend on Him. But one of the tragic realities of this story is in this story, literally, sin kills the good thing that God has given Eve. Literally. God gives Eve Cain and Abel, and then because Cain gives in to the temptation, to sin's demands, He kills his brother Abel, and then he is banished uh, from the presence of the Lord. So I I doubt he ever saw mom and dad again. And and sin, once again, robs people of the good things that God gives them. And that's one of the reasons we we need to believe this and, and, uh, and be afraid of the consequence of sin in our life as a motivation to flee from sin because we know. Yeah, it sounds good in the moment, but I know that sin always harms me. And so we flee from sin. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. So what is, what's Abel's occupation? 
Come on. Keeper of the sheep. He's a shepherd. That's right. And Cain is a farmer. Yes. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. That word offering can also mean tribute. And it is the same word that uh, in our Leviticus series uh, described one type of uh, one type of offering to the Lord, and and that can be either grain or uh, or animal sacrifice. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. Boom. And you get right to there and you immediately think, ask why. Why did God have regard for Abel and his offering and not for Cain and his offering? And to have regard for means God accepted Abel and his offering and he rejected Cain and his offering. Why? It's very important that we understand the why. And there are essentially two proposals. One, I think, is completely wrong. And the first proposal, the one I think is wrong, is this. It says, well, there must have been something deficient about the way he went, the mechanics. He was was deficient in the ritual. He didn't perform the the ritual of the offering correctly. And so, so some people say, ah, it's he brought produce rather than an animal, and God only wants animal sacrifices. And that's not right based on what we saw in Leviticus. The, the mincha, this particular offering, can be grain or animals. So that's not it. Well, some say, ah, well, Abel brought first fruits, and Cain, it says, in the course of time, he brought some of his... So maybe it was the fact that Abel brought first fruits and Cain didn't, or Abel brought the fat portion, so the best, and maybe Cain didn't bring the best. Well, the text doesn't tell us that. I do not think that the reason Cain and his offering were rejected has anything to do with the mechanics of the offering, the ritual performed incorrectly. No, it has to do with who Cain was and how he related to God as opposed to Abel. So Abel, well, there are a couple texts in the New Testament that that help us understand what's going on. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, we are told that Abel's sacrifice was made in faith, and Cain's wasn't. Now, by faith, it's not that Abel believed God existed. Cain absolutely believed God existed, and he talked to God. So it's not that, but there's something deficient in Cain's heart and the way that he viewed God and related to God. And then in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, we are told that the reason Cain killed Abel is because Cain's deeds were evil and Abel's were righteous. So here's the deal. Cain is a wicked man who, who has a, a, an unfaithful relationship with God. He's got a deficient heart and a wicked lifestyle. And he thinks he can make up for that by just bringing some tribute to the Lord. And God, in his care for Cain, says, no, no. I reject you in your offering 
because you can't just come bring me some, some produce and think you can make up for a deficient heart in a wicked lifestyle. I want you to be like your brother who has faith and, and relates to me in the right way and lives a righteous life. See that? So, so the, here's a big point for us, and we pounded this during the Leviticus sermon in which we, we said, look, look, no amount of religious ritual or religious practices can make up for a deficient heart and a wicked lifestyle. You can't go to church on Sunday and, and live like a hellion Monday, you know, Monday through Saturday. You, God, does, God does not say, oh, well, you, you give to the church, you, you are helping out in Sunday school, and you read your Bible, so it's okay that you are hitting on your wife and, and you're screaming and yelling at your kids and you use curse words and you embezzle money and you lie. And as long as you're doing the religious, you know, perf- religious rituals correctly, then you can live however you want. No. No, God cares about us. He relates to us as people. He sees our heart and he sees how we live our lives. And if we want to have a right relationship with him, then we have to be righteous people. Now, we're not talking here. uh, Now, this is before Christ, before even the Jewish law. Um, And we know, you know, just to clarify, today we don't get right with God through our righteousness. We get right with God through our faith in his son, Jesus, and Jesus's righteousness. But it, but this, this principle of, you know, you can't live a wicked life and and expect God to overlook that because, you know, you do good religious deeds. That still applies today. God cares about who we are and the way we live our lives, and it has relational consequences. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? God is asking Cain to diagnose his anger. What unfulfilled desire is fueling your anger? Because when you're anger, angry, it's because you're not getting something you want. So what is it that you want that's, that's at risk or it's not being fulfilled? And there, there is such a thing as righteous anger, and it's because you've got a righteous desire that's at risk. And we see that with Jesus, when Jesus, whose desire was for the glory of the Lord, sees the adulteration of the temple, and it makes him angry, and he drives the moneylenders out of the temple courts. But then there is a whole lot of anger that is sourced in unrighteous desires, ignoble desires, desires that are not honorable. And a whole lot of my anger, the vast majority of my anger, when I uh, wrestle it to the ground and really uh, identify the desire that's at risk or unmet, it's not an honorable desire. And so when you are angry, when you are angry, God asks you to diagnose the source of your anger. Ask your anger this, you know, is the, is the, the desire fueling my anger 
honorable or not. And so when I discipline myself to do this, and this, this is very, very helpful for me when I get angry, it, it, when I diagnose that and ask what is the desire that's fueling my anger, very often it is a selfish you know, ignoble uh, desire, and then I find myself, uh, what's, if I'm in the right, my right mind, and I'm following the lead of the Holy Spirit, I'll repent of that, and that diffuses the anger. And so God is asking, uh, asking Cain to diagnose his anger, why are you angry? And he's very angry. Cain is very angry, the text says. Why are you angry? Are you angry because you really, really want a relationship with me, and you're so upset that, that I don't, I'm not accepting you? Is that the sort? Do you have an honorable desire to be in relationship with me, and because that's at risk, you're angry? Well, if so, Cain, there's a very simple solution to that, and that's what he says next. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Cain, if what you really want is to be in right relationship with me, then change your behavior. Do well, stop being wicked. If you will change your, you know, if you'll start doing well, then you and I will be great. And, and so, so you don't need to get angry and go kill your brother. Just change your wicked lifestyle. And then you and I will, you know, be more like your brother and you and I can have a great relationship. There's a simple solution. If, if what you're really desiring is a relationship with me, a good relationship with me, it's within your power to have. Just change your behavior. But Cain doesn't answer the Lord, which is very interesting. Cain never, in the text, never says anything to God. I think Cain knows that it's, that's not his desire. What's fueling his anger are things that are like pride and selfishness, and ego, and competition with his brother. Ignoble desires that should be repented of and, and diffuse the anger. But he, he's going to just, he's not going to deal with that, uh, that desire that's wrong, and he just lets it continue to rage, and it gets out of control. So, when we are angry, we need to be diagnosing our anger, and, and if the desire that's fueling it is ignoble, not honorable, we need to repent of it. And when we do that, we'll cut, we can stop the, the, the anger from getting more out of control. We can get off that uh, angry train and won't go to where it's trying to take us. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Here's where God says you're in a battle. I love that imagery. Sin is crouching at the door. And uh, talking to Pastor James this week, he, he said, yeah, I think about that like a tiger. And the tiger is crouched down, ready to pounce. And that's sin. Sin never sleeps. Sin is always uh, watching for an opportunity to take control of us. Now, when a tiger 
shrinks down. It's doing two things when it's crouching. Number one, it's, it's reducing its profile. It's trying to look small and non-threatening. It doesn't want its prey to be on alert. And so it shrinks down so that, so that the prey thinks, ah, oh, I'm not in danger. And it's also crouching so that it is poised at a moment's notice, boom, to leap and overcome. And that's sin. Sin makes itself appear small and unthreatening and on our side even. Oh, I'm here to help you. Listen to, listen to my reasoning. I'm going to take you, take you to, to a place that's going to just give you what you really, really want. And it's also ready to strike in our weakest moment. In our weakest moment. Sin is always, always, always on, alert, watching, crouching, ready to take control if we'll let it. And sin knows when we are vulnerable. It's watching for our weakest moments. And anger is one of those times when you're angry, you are vulnerable. In the, in the world of addiction recovery, one of the things that uh, addiction recovery does is, is teaches you about uh, vulnerable times in your life. Be aware of times when you are going to be susceptible to that addiction siren song. And one of the techniques is called the, the HALT technique. And HALT stands for... Um, Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And that can both be physical and it can also be emotional. When you are hungry, angry, right? Lonely, tired, you are at risk. At risk of that addiction saying, come to me, I'll take care of you. You're at, you're, you are at risk of sin saying, let me guide you and I'll take care of you. And so, um, recognize that there are times, anger being one of them, and see, there's a reason God is saying, God sees that Cain, because he's very angry, that Cain is at risk, especially especially vulnerable to sin, uh, sin's invitation uh, leading. And so, God says, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. So there are times... Now, anger, God, anger in and of itself is not wrong. The Lord made us emotional, and that's a good thing. But we need to balance it. We, we can't let our emotions uh, just spin up out of control and then just give in to all of our emotional impulses because our emotions can be easily manipulated by the evil one. We've got to balance it with truth and intellect and reason. But on the other hand, you don't want to become, you know, Dr. Spock either. A healthy, a healthy human life balances both. There's good news here. I love this. Sin is crouching at, its, at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. It literally reads, its desire is for you. 
but you must master it. Sin wants, it wants to control you, wants to dominate you, wants you to do what it says, but you must master it. That's God saying to Cain, you have the power to say no to sin. You have the power to resist sin's siren call in your life. You don't have to sin. You have the power to say no. Hey, now, he's saying this to Cain, who, after the fall, so sin has entered the world. Cain has a sin nature. Uh, this is prior to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So Cain does, is not indwelt with the Holy Spirit like Christians are. And yet God says, you can say no to sin. So this is for all humans. Because of the fact that we're created in the image of God, we have the ability to make a choice. And this is a corrective to what we hear so often in society, which wants to talk as if, our cho- as if we are powerless oftentimes in our choices, that we're victims, that we're going to do what we do based on whether we have red hair or not, and based on you know, what people have done to us and what kind of an environment we grew up in that almost like it determines who we're going to be and what we're going to do. And that is not the biblical teaching. The biblical teaching is you are created in the image of God and because of that, God has empowered you to decide for yourself what you will do and what you will not do. You always, always, always have a choice. You are never powerless. Now, it becomes, uh, there's no doubt that the past and our past choices and what people have done to us, there's no doubt that it, make, it can make it a lot harder for us to choose what is right. It can make it a lot easier for us to listen to sin, especially if we've given in over time and we've developed habits, right? But in every moment of temptation, we have a choice and we have the power to do what is right. That is the reality, even when we feel powerless. The reality is we can choose to do right. We can say no to sin. And that's empowering. That's an empowering truth. At the same time, where, where there is ability, there becomes responsibility. Because we can say no to sin, God holds us accountable when we say yes. And that's what happens with Cain. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't ever speak to God. God tries to get him off the train before it takes him to the, the, the murder station, he won't engage with God because he's angry and he's determined to just do what he wants to do. So God, so he won't engage with God and get off. The next thing, the only thing he says is to Abel. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The first murder in human history. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Giving Cain an opportunity to confess. He said, I don't know. That's a lie. He knows where Abel is. He's left him in the field dead. Am I my brother's keeper? Why are you asking me? 
I'm not responsible for Abel. You know, the biblical answer to the question of, am I my brother's keeper, is yes. You live in community. You have a responsibility to your fellow man. Now, the Bible does not deny individuality. We are individuals. But, but we are not individuals to the point of, I can do whatever I want to do. We're not autonomous. You know, I can pursue my will and my desires at the expense of other people. No, that's where it stops. You, you, cannot, you cannot harm other people in your pursuit of you know, your will. We are our brother's keeper in, in the sense that we have responsibility for other people. We certainly can't kill people in order to get the life that we want. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground. So Cain will not take responsibility, right? He doesn't want to take responsibility for his brother's death, but the Lord won't let him off the hook. God, because we can say no to sin, when we say yes to sin, God holds us accountable. And now you are cursed from the ground, verse 11, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And it goes on. So the Bible is very clear that God will hold us accountable for how we have lived our lives. In fact, the Bible says... It's our thoughts, our motives, our words, our deeds. Everything is being watched by the Lord. And someday we're going to have to give an account to him for the way we have lived our lives. Because we are able, we are responsible. And God who has given our lives, given us our lives, will, hold, will demand an account. So this is taught many places. I'm just going to read two scriptures. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So we will. We will not be able to say to the Lord on that day, uh, yes, I did that, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't hold me accountable because I was powerless or I'm a victim or some other explanation. The Lord isn't going to buy that. No, you had a choice, and you chose to sin rather than to do what is right. And you knew what was right, because I've given you a conscience. Well, here's the good news. Let's end on a, a positive note, and here it is. This is a tragic story. <laughs> this is a tragic story, because Cain is banished from uh, the presence of the Lord, the ground, he was a farmer, and now the ground won't produce for him, and he's, he's kicked out of his 
you know, he is banished from his family, and he goes, becomes a wanderer on the earth. It's a tragic story. And in fact, his descendants just keep going farther and farther uh, into sin's grip. But the good news is this. The rest of the Bible teaches us that um, we can wrestle back control of our lives from sin's grasp. We can wrestle back, even if we have given uh, control of our lives over to sin in, in a particular area, um, no matter how far or for how long we have just allowed sin to call the shots in our lives, if we are willing and we turn to the Lord for help, we can wrestle back control of our lives from sin. So I have told this story uh, before, but there was a time in my life when I was a slave to sin in an area of my life. I had said yes to sin's demands for years. And, and I, had, I was entangled, I was in bondage, and I had gotten to a point where I actually didn't believe emotionally. Intellectually, I believed because I knew what the Word of God said, but, it, but emotionally, I did not believe I could find freedom. And it was a terrible place to be. And it really created a, a, dis, a dissonance in my spirit. As intellectually, by faith, I believed what the, what the Bible said about, you know, in Christ I can do all things and I can, we can find freedom. But experientially, I wasn't finding it. And, and it, was, it was a terrible place. It was slavery. It was slavery. And then, I, I, don't, I, I have a hard time explaining it. There was no miraculous healing. Boy, I, I wish somebody could just pray for me or cast out a demon and, and I would you know, regain control uh, of, of my life in this area. But that's not how it happened. Eventually, I just got to a place where I was desperate for freedom. I was desperate. And I was encouraged by Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, which says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You haven't gone all the way. I had tried many times uh, to experience freedom. I've had some modicums of success, but I knew I was never, I'd never broken free. But now I was desperate. And so I... I had the, got the accountability, and I mean, I was so desperate that every single day, I was literally on my face, prostrate, my body just shaking, just physically just shaking. God, God, please, please today help me say no to sin. I want to I be righteous today. Don't let me give in to that temptation. Body just shaking. And I... Th- I just got to a point where I was desperate for freedom and I cried out to the Lord and I did everything I knew I could do to press into that. And it was one day victory and then day two victory and day three victory. And I had somebody that I was going to every day to give an accountability and it was a joy at the end of the day to say, today, today I didn't give in to that temptation. I chose righteousness. And then day four and day five, and then it was one week and two weeks 
and three weeks, and then it was a month, and two months, and three months, and I knew God was helping me. I knew God was with me in it, that He was pleased, and He was empowering me, and you know what? It took a long time, probably a couple years into this, and God had just given me victory after victory. A couple years into this, I realized I no longer feel like a slave to, I feel like I've gone back to neutral. Yes, I'm still, this is, I'm still at risk, I, I still can be tempted in this area, absolutely. I still have to stay vigilant and stay yes to righteousness and no to sin. But I feel like I've recovered as if I've gone back to neutral and I'm in my right mind in this area. I'm no longer a slave. And that is, that is so freeing. It is so freeing and it is so empowering spiritually. And... I, I I despair, I hate to think of what would, could I have been an effective pastor if I, if I were all still bound up in that area? I mean, I, I know that I preach with much more uh, zeal and confidence the biblical truths because uh, I'm not, there I'm not being, there's not a big lie in my life, right? I feel it. I have experienced it and I can proclaim it. From personal experience, God can set you free from the power of sin. And you want that. You want that in your life. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, we read this. Or, I already said that. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Is that true for you? You've got a, an area of your life that has given over to sin. Have you gone all in and really fought the battle? with everything you have, stayed in it until you're, I mean, metaphorically, bloodied <laughs> to win. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 speaks about God helping us. He's in it with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, ah, it's not that God takes the temptation away. He lets you stay right there. He lets you experience the temptation. Christ, right, he was tempted in every way that we were and yet without sin. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So God doesn't take away the temptation. He creates a back door. He creates an exit ramp. There's always a way of escape. God is faithful. He promises, I will always provide a way of escape. You don't have to say yes to the temptation. You don't have to give in. You don't have to sin. You can take my off-ramp, and you can do what is right. And so God is a partner with us in this battle. He wants us to win the battle. He doesn't want us sin to, to gain mastery. And so he helps us. But he doesn't ever remove the burden of choice from us, does he? Now, I have heard the rare story. My grandmother told me the story of she was addicted to cigarettes for years. And she was desperate and she cried out to the Lord. And the Lord, in a moment, miraculously took away her desire for cigarettes. And she never... Never smoke, smoked again. And the Lord can do that. And he does that sometimes. And he does that for his own reasons. But that's not the pattern that I typically see. 
The pattern that I typically see is those who want, who have given over control of their lives to sin in an, in an area and want to wrestle back control. It is a it is a hard fought, bloody metaphorically, victory. Empowered by God, God is with us in us, but we have to make the choice moment by moment, temptation by temptation, to say, I'm taking God's off-ramp, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give in to this. And so I don't, I don't care how far you've gone, you can, empowered by the Spirit of God, look, it's, you can come back. You can wrestle back control and then walk again in freedom. That's good news. Don't give up. God wants to help you experience life to the full. Life to the full. And sin is slavery. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this story. I thank you that you cared enough about Cain, that you warned Cain that sin is crouching at at the door and its desire is contrary to you, but you must master it. You warned Cain, don't let sin gain control in your life. Fight it off. Cain didn't listen, but we can listen. This story is in there for our edification, Lord, and so uh, we choose right now. Lord, I pray that you, right now, that by your Spirit, you would uh, give hope to people who are who know I'm enslaved to sin in this area of my life. Give, life. Give them hope that, that you can empower them to start wrestling back control from sin so they can be in their right mind and choose righteousness and experience life the way you meant it to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.